Hallelujah. How's everybody doing this morning? Wow, it looks like I'm, I'm a little hot up here. Can we turn that down a little bit? I'm going to blow some people's ears out. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, it's so good to see everybody's smiling face this morning. Glad to have you here. And uh, this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our study into the book of 1 Corinthians. We are slowly but surely making our way through it. Um, as you can see now that we are on part 18 been doing this for 18 weeks. Can you believe it? And we probably got about 12 more somewhere around there. But, uh, you know, it, it, the, the Bible is important to go through, and we don't want to just rush our way through it. We want to see what, what is actually being said to us, and we want to make sure that we hear what God is speaking to us. And this morning, we're going to go through in this second half of chapter 10, and Paul's going to primarily deal with two things. One, he's going to look at fleeing from idolatry, And then the next part of after that, he's going to start dealing with doing all to the glory of God. But I want you to know, church, here's the thing. You can't do both. You can't stay um, stuck in your idolatry and give all glory to God. You have to do one or the other. You can't do both. And I remember when I first started going back to church, um, this was before God had called me to be a pastor, but I was getting back involved in the church. And I used to work at a restaurant. I worked at Old Pueblo Grill before that got shut down. And uh, uh, if you've ever worked in a restaurant before, you know that it's not the most wholesome of places to work. And, uh, but somehow, I had got it in my head that uh, I was going to show all these other folks that you could be a Christian and still have fun. And you could still do all the things you wanted to do. And basically what was happening is I began to notice that I was putting, well, I didn't notice at the time, I notice now, that I was putting my needs above everybody else's. I was putting what I wanted above what God wanted for my life. And I was, I was basically, I idolized myself. Anybody ever idolized theirself? Or is it just, just me? I'm the only person. Wow. Maybe some of you, some of you guys come up here and preach this message here. Apparently, I need to hear from you. Praise God. I had idolized myself. I thought I could do everything on my own. I thought that I had it all figured out. I mean, what did I need God for? I was good at everything on my own. But somehow, I had got it into my head that I was going to teach all these people that I worked with that you could be a Christian. At least out of that part, I figured out I wanted to be a Christian. But I figured you could be a Christian and do all the dumb stuff that you used to do. So we would go out and, and uh, I mean, how egotistical is that? That I thought that I was going to revolutionize evangelism. But I figured I was going to do it. So I go out there. And I remember one night after work, we went out to a bar and we were drinking. And uh, yeah, I wasn't always a pastor in case everybody's shocked. Um, But God saved me, right? It's not about our past. It's about where we're at now. God's done something in my life. Amen. But I I remember going out to a bar and sitting with people. And I remember I had this one girl told me, she said, you know, and it totally stroked my ego. She said, you know, I love the fact that you're a Christian, but you're not like all the other ones. And you just go ahead and you still come out here and, and drink and party and do all this stuff with us. And man, I was like well, I've got this figured out. I'm about to change some lives. So that's, at the time, that's what I was thinking. Because my head was so full of myself. I, had, I basically put myself on a pedestal. I thought I was going to change the world. It was going to be me, me, me. I didn't need God to help me because I had it figured out. You know, and some of y'all are grinning and smiling at me, but I know you guys have, whether you've subconsciously or consciously, you said those same things to yourself. But I, I, I look back now and I'm like, man, What kind of stumbling block did I put in front of that young lady's path to become a Christian? I thought I was doing the right. You know how many people I got saved while I was living like that? Big goose egg. (laughs) Are any of you guys shocked? I wasn't wasn't able to minister to anybody because I was still living my old life while pretending to be a Christian. 
And I, I think back now is, is, is what did I put in her path? What kind of stumbling block did I put in her path? Because she thought that, oh, we can be a Christian and do these things. I, I can say I'm a Christian, but not have to change anything about my life, that nothing is going to change if I give my life to God. And that's the thing, church. When you really give your heart to God, you give your life to God, your life is going to change. It's not about putting your list of things that I have to change. The reality is, is that a miracle takes place inside of you and things will begin to change on their own. Now, I would recommend going ahead and giving your life and making those decisions yourself. But if you will just spend time in the Word, develop your relationship with Him, you're going to find that the things that you used to like, you're not going to, to mesh with anymore. They're going to seem out of character. And the reason that is is because when you get saved, you are a brand new person. You are, have a new spirit put inside of you. A supernatural miracle happens, and you are made brand new. And what happens is, when you're not the person you used to be, but you do the things you used to do, there's a conflict. There's, it's like running your, your, your hands over a cheese grater. It, it, there's something that presses back, because it's not in your nature anymore to do those things. But as I look back at that time, instead of fleeing from idolatry like Paul is going to teach us. Instead of running away from those things that I was, instead I was embracing them. And as a result, nothing that I did brought glory to God because you can't do both. You can't embrace idolatry in your life of any sort, whether you're lifting up yourself or somebody else or the government or anything above God. You can't embrace those things in your life and still do everything to the glory of God. Amen? Things not working. There we go. Too far. All right, I got it now. Thanks, guys. All right, the first verse we're going to look at is chapter 10, uh, verse 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Do you know, church, there's some things you just shouldn't mess around with. There's some things you just shouldn't get involved with. There are some sins that you should not try to resist. There are some things that the, the best thing to do, instead of standing your ground, is to turn tail and flee. And this isn't the first time that Paul has told us to flee from something. First now he says, here he said, flee from idolatry. But the first time that he said it was in, was in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He said, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin in a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And the idea here is these aren't the kind of things that we want to try to resist. These aren't the kind of things that we want to try to figure out. These aren't the kind of things that we want to stand in the face of. Sometimes it's better to just get out of there, get away from those things that can pull you back in. And he uses the same, the same phrase for, for idolatry. And that's anything that we would put in front of God, those things that draw you in to lift up above him. Those are the things that you need to just get away from. Just run away. Don't even try to deal with it. Because these are the things we shouldn't try to get as close to as we can. You remember we, we looked at last week when we talked about how a lot of times Christians, they get saved and they look at their sin and, and their, their first thought is, is, what can I do? How, how close can I get to that with still not, not sinning? How close, how, you know, the, the new Christian often asks things, am I still allowed to do this? Am I still allowed to do that? How close can I get to it? But the problem is, churches, we end up playing with fire when we do stuff like that. We're seeing how close we can get to the snake without getting bitten. 
I was just watching a video not too long ago of Steve Irvin. We talked about him, but he's that, that, uh, uh, the reptile guy. And he's got a real famous one where he's laying down, and he's got a, a bearded dragon on a rock, and he's laying down, and his face is like this far from it. And that's Steve. He would get down on their face. He's talking to you. I don't know why he did what he did. But the next thing you know is this thing just jumps off and bites him on the nose. And Steve was always getting bit because he was constantly trying to see how close he could get to these dangerous animals. And unfortunately, too many of us Christians do the same thing. We want to see how close we can get without getting bit. But the problem is, is it so often pulls us back in and we end up getting bit anyway, even though we tried so hard not to. When it would have been better to just run away, we try to see how close that we can get. Now, for the Corinthian believers, that they, they needed to understand that what they were getting close to was that life that they used to live as idol worshipers. They would be in the temple, and they would worship those false gods. They would offer sacrifices to these false gods. And, and Paul's warning against that. He says, my beloved, the people that I love, the people that I care about, I don't want you falling back into what you had. Run away from this stuff. Don't spend time there. And he even goes on to say, he talks about eating food sacrificed to idols. And yes, as believers, we're free to eat it. But is that something you really want to toy around with? So he said, instead of dealing with stuff that has the potential to lead you back into sin, turn around and run. Just get away from it. And the truth is, is even if they could have resisted their temptation and operated in their freedom as believers, they would still have the potential to cause other believers to stumble. You know, many mature Christians understand that they have freedoms in Christ to do things. But the problem is, is when we do those in front of people that are just saved or they're not as mature as we are, they might have something get twisted inside of them and they don't, understand, they don't have the same self-control that you might have. And, and because you exercised your freedom, you can get somebody else wrapped up in the very thing that, that used to control their lives. And we, we think about, we read this stuff and we think, well, this isn't us though, Pastor Wayne. This, this has nothing to do with us. We don't have temples here in Tucson. We don't have any place that we go and sacrifice to other gods. But for, for Americans, the, the idolatry that we face is just like I talked to in the beginning of this message. The story that I told you about me is we begin to lift ourselves up. We begin to think that our own free time, that our own personal uh, uh, freedoms and stuff are, are more important than everybody else's, more important than what God wants for our lives. We have determined that, that that is the most important thing in our life. We idolize ourselves. And you're thinking, that doesn't make sense. I've never done that, Pastor Wayne. I've never, I've never really thought like that, but we do it even subconsciously. You know, I, I get on Facebook and I, I see all kinds of images of, that people put on Facebook and they don't even realize that they could be causing somebody else to stumble, to trip up, to fall. You know, you have a new believer that that's, 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 used to be an alcoholic and God delivered him, but he sees the, the mature Christian or the, they're, they're, they're going out and they're operating in their freedom and they see a picture of them on Facebook having a beer or drinking a glass of wine. And they go, hey, I guess as Christians, it's okay that we do that. And they get wrapped up in their old sin. Is it a sin to drink? Probably not. But the problem is, is getting drunk and taken to excess absolutely is. And many people don't have the same self-control that you might have. And you end up, by exercising your own freedoms, you end up causing somebody else to fall into something that they can't get out of. And it, it can hurt people. It can bring them down. And Paul said, I would rather not eat meat again. He was talking about meat. He said, I would rather give up all of my rights to make sure that nobody else is harmed with what I, with what I do. 
And church, I, I really believe that these kind of things can cause other people problems. We need to, to run from these things. We need to be an example to those around us and make a difference in their lives. And then Paul says, he says this, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. I love that Paul says, you know what? I'm preaching this stuff, but I want you to judge. You guys, are, you guys are reasonable people. You guys are sensible. Think about what I'm saying. Does it make sense to you? Does it, does it seem right to you? And I, I, I bet you right now that even some of you in this room are having an internal dialogue with yourselves right now. You're thinking to yourselves, you know what? On one hand, I get exactly what he's saying. But on the other hand, I want to keep doing the things that I want to do. I want to keep involving myself in these things because I don't want that taken away from me. We, we grab hold of our old lives so much. But the thing is, is there's that other side of your head going, man, he's right. And you have an internal struggle because the reality is, is you guys are reasonable and sensible people. But I want you to remember something this morning that it's not me challenging you. It's not, I didn't write this stuff, folks. I'm just preaching it. I'm just, this is written down by men of God who are inspired by the word of God. These are his instructions for our lives. Amen? In verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are, are many are of one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, Paul's going to begin to illustrate his point. Because right now, what Paul's specifically dealing with in the Corinthian church is those believers that are still participating in what's going on in these, these temples, the pagan temples that they had been freed from. They're now Christians, but they're still participating in the things that are going on there. And some of that we talked about is just, you know, it's just part of life. You know, many of us do the same thing. You know, we'll, we'll go to a, to a VFW or something like that to participate in a wedding where there's a full bar and all that stuff. But we may not be partaking in that. Or we're going to go to a movie theater that's got plenty of movies that you shouldn't watch, but some that you can watch, right? So we, we deal with that. We're still interacting with things in our lives. And the truth is, church, we're part of this world. We're not of it, but we still live inside of it. So we have to deal with those things. But Paul's telling them to be careful how they participate in those things. And he says, I'm going to use this as an example. When Christians get together and they share in communion, it's the collective worship of Christians and expresses their unity among the members of the body and, the, and, and Christ it expresses their unity. And sharing in communion actually represents its benefits, right? And one of those that we are remembering when we take communion, what are we sharing in and declaring our unity in? And that's one, the, the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ and the wholeness of our body by his body being broken. We're remembering these things. So we're, we're becoming, uh, participating in a unity with them. And the point is that when we declare this, we're saying that we are one with this stuff, that we believe in this stuff, that we uphold these things. We're declaring our approval of those things that we participate in. And for the Corinthian church, this participating in the goings-on in the temple would signify their unity and approval with them. For today, it would be, I would think, one of the things that, that we participate in and give our our unanimous approval for i think is the american dream the american dream is killing people many people in this country because we've been taught that we want to have it we should have it it's it's who we are it's, it's what we're supposed to have in america but what happens is is we end up going 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to keep up with the Joneses trying to do these things. And instead of being a blessing to us, it kills us. And we become, by our single-minded focus into it, that above all else, we end up showing our approval for it and our, 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 our coming in together with it. And that's what Paul's saying is that when you participate in these things, you declare your unity and oneness with it. If you're participating in the temple, you're declaring your unity and oneness with it. And it's, as Christians, if, if we get involved in that kind of stuff in our life, that's the kind of things that we're saying as well. But I do want to be clear that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the American dream is a bad thing. It's not. It's good to have a house. It's good to have a family. It's good to have those things. It's good to be blessed and make, you know, you have some cars and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when we place that on such a high pedestal that it takes priority over everything else in our lives. Wanting a good job is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, most of you guys should want better jobs. It's not a bad thing, but when you make that your priority over everything else, that's when it becomes a problem. I mean, heck, even doing the stuff like we, you're following sports, watching the game, not a big deal as long as it doesn't become all-consuming in your life. Amen? And there are plenty of things from our, our life before Christ that we would be better off with just running away from than trying to manage it in our Christian walk, trying to see how close we can get to the snake. In verse 18, he goes on a continuation of this illustration, but with the people of Israel. He says, Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food is offered to idols as anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to participate, be participants with demons. So Paul's now using the altar in the temple to illustrate this very same thing. Because the Jewish people identified with what was being sacrificed and with each other. Right? They identified with it. When they sacrificed an animal to take away their sins, they identified in that forgiveness of sins. And, and by participating in that, they were, they were declaring their approval and oneness with that as well. And he says, and it's not the idols that are the issue. Paul's not validating the idols. He says, what do I imply then? That food is offered to idols as anything or that an idol is anything? No. The truth is, is that all this stuff that we lift up and it's never going to be God. It's not worth anything. In this case, the idols that people are off, that are worshiping, they're, 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 they're not real gods. They're just wood and stone and metal or whatever they built them out of. And they had no value. They had no spirit inside of them. They had nothing. They're just... A, a paperweight, essentially. And the food offered to them, there was nothing special about it either. It was just food. Paul's not giving validity to those things. But what he was getting at is that when they're offering to these things, the reality is, is they're not actually offering to God, they're offering to demons. And when they, if you're participating in that thing, you're declaring your oneness, you're declaring your approval of such things. And when the pagans and likewise the Christian believers were participating in idol worship and sacrifice, they were at union with those things. But the one thing that Paul's trying to make clear in both of these examples is this, you can't do both. You can't participate in the Lord's Supper and sit at God's table all at the same time sitting and eating the food at Satan's table, at the devil's table. 
You can't do both, church. You need to flee from idolatry so you can give glory to God in all that you do. So what is the application for today, for the church in 2017 and beyond? What does this mean to us? It means that we have to be very aware of and careful of what we are joining ourselves to, what we are getting involved in. We must be cognizant of what we are participating in and the things that we are doing and what we're attaching ourselves to and giving our approval of. Because what we join ourselves to, if you're a believer, you're joining Christ to as well. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6.15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? He says, never. Remember that you have the living God inside of you, and what you are joining yourself to is what you are exposing him to as well. Amen? And then he goes on in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You see, church, here's the real root of the problem with idol worship is that you can't do both. You can't worship God and then worship something else and put it at the same level that he's at. You can't worship and uh, you can't serve God and then go and serve an idol, whatever that might be in your life. Jesus said it like this in Matthew six twenty four. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, we know in that one he's particularly talking about money, but that truth applies to everything in our lives that we want to place before God. You can't serve both. You can't give your everything to God and also put your job at the same level as God. You can't put the government on the same level as God. You can't put any man or woman, you can't put your spouse, your husband, your wife, you can't put any of those things and put your, rely on them and put your trust in them because they will let you down. That's just a fact. Because nothing is faithful like God is faithful. Nothing is worthy of our worship like God is worthy of our worship. There is nothing that should be placed above God because what happens is, is they become in conflict with one another if you do. And I've seen this time and time again when people have a job and they're, 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 they're getting a promotion and, and it says, you know what, we're going to give you this promotion, it's going to be a lot more money, but if you take it, you're going to have to work on Sundays. And they have to make a choice. And what happens is if they decide to serve their job, they feel that conflict. They decide that that's the right thing to do. They feel that conflict because they are, are, are giving something, uh, preference to God rather than who deserves the preeminence in their life. And if you have to work on Sundays, I'm not saying uh, that, that you need to change everything right now. The truth is, is we work towards those things. And some of us, we get in a position that, that I, when I first started going to church again, I worked every Sunday. And when I was saved in that position, I was stuck in that position until I could get out of it. And the reality is, is if we're moving forward, we're making a difference. If we're deciding to put God first, every single day, then we're making progress. Because that's the reality, church, is we need to put God first above our jobs, above our kids. That's a hard one for some people. 
when people are asked to put their kids ahead of God or put God ahead of their kids, you know, oh no, my kids deserve everything. They're, they get the priority in my life. We have time, and, you know, that's, that was the whole point with, with, uh, uh, with, with uh, Isaac when he was being sacrificed by Abraham. And he walked out there and God wanted to know who's going to come first, your children or me. And, and Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to trust you because I figured that if you already promised me that I'm going to be the father of many nations and this is my promise, even if I kill him, then you can resurrect him because you are faithful. And the reality is, is that that was just a type and shadow of, of what God did with his very own son. But the reality is there's so many things that we can put in front of God. And Paul goes on to say, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The truth is, is, is uh, if you haven't figured this out yet, you might want to write this down. You are not stronger and wiser than God. God's plan for us, for how we're to live our lives, is not to hamper us. I remember when I, uh, when I was first being told about the gospel and, and, and people were trying to get me to commit my lives, all I could think about was how God wanted to ruin my life and ruin my fun and take everything away because he wanted to take away all the fun things, all those things that I, I thought were amazing in my life. And I, I look back now in retrospect and with a little wisdom behind it and I realized that I was actually being killed regularly. I was, the enemy was trying to destroy me and the very things that I thought were amazing in my life. But as I look back now, I realize that, that the, the reality is that God puts these uh, or asks us to live our lives in a certain way because it's what's better for us. You know, you think about this with your kids. If your kids wanted to go out and play in the, in the highway, how many of you would let your kids go play in the middle of a busy highway? Exactly. Nobody. If you wouldn't do that for your own kids, even if they were, I mean, how many of you guys have disciplined your kids and they just get mad at you? Because you're just trying to ruin their life. You're trying to ruin their fun. You know, I can't believe they won't let me go play on the highway. Why won't they just let me do what I want to do? But it's because you love them. And you don't want them to get hit by a truck. And the same thing, that's the way God looks at us and all. He's, if, if we can live like that as, as humanly parents, how much more so do you think our heavenly Father is going to care about us? And the reason he asks us to not do these is because they're harmful to us. And if you just take a step back and look, you can look at everybody's lives that have been impacted by sin and see the kind of destruction that it wreaks on their lives. The most recent example that comes to my mind is Robin Williams. Seemed like he had it all. Had everything going for him. He was rich. He was funny. People loved him. And he ended up committing suicide because none of those things will fulfill you. They're just fleeting and passing pleasures. Only God can fill those holes in your heart, and playing with fire will only get you burned. Man, I should have used that example. Some reason you won't let your kids play with fire because they'll get burned. And if we keep pushing God away in order to do what we want to do, this is right here, are we going to provoke God to jealousy? You know, I, I don't believe that God is up there with a big stick waiting for you to mess up. He's not out there to punish you. Punishment for sin was taking care of his son, Jesus Christ. But I do believe that if you don't want God on your life, he will take a step back. He is the perfect gentleman. If you're not going to let him in, if you're not, he will take a step back. And the truth is, is, is when he does that, 
you're going to notice some changes in your life that you didn't want to notice. Your life will fall apart. And I can say this because I've lived through it. There was a time when, well, I told you, I could do everything. I didn't need God. I could do everything on my own. And my life fell apart around me. And the truth is, is that if you want to live your life without God, he will let you. It'll break his heart, but he'll let you. I tell you what, this is not something that you want. And I know this because of the experiences that I've lived. This is not something that you want. It's time to to turn around and flee from these things that are trying to drag you back in. It's time to stop playing with fire. Amen? In verse 23, Paul goes on to say, All things are lawful. But, all thing, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Here's the reality with our freedoms that we have in Christ church. All of our freedoms have to be exercised and participated in through the lens of responsibility. Paul never denied the freedom of the Corinthian believers. He never said that you're not free. He never said that, that these things are somehow you're bound to the law or you're bound to these things. As a matter of fact, not only did he not deny it, he actually stood up for it. He said, yes, you are free. As a believer, you're free. You're free to go into the temple and you're free to eat that meat. It's not a sin. It's not going to cause you any issues. Food is just food. It all belongs to the Lord anyway. But he said, you know what? You need to be responsible with how you interact with those things, how you exercise your freedoms. And freedom is not to be taken lightly. Actually, freedom is a great responsibility. And it's not to be taken lightly. And just because something is okay does not mean it's wise to engage in it. How many of you know that? Just because something is allowed doesn't mean it's, it's a good idea for you to do so. As you know that, that in this country, it's perfectly legal to shop. It's not a sin to shop might drive your husband crazy, but it's not a sin to do those things. But racking up thousands of dollars in debt is not good for you. How many of you guys know that? Did you know there's not a food that you can't eat? You're allowed to eat any food. None of those food is sin. You know, there used to be unclean animals to so the Jewish people. They weren't allowed to eat them, which was also wisdom from God. Back then, there was no participation. I mean, that protected them from sickness and disease. But there's nothing that we can't eat now. He said, you know what? The, the stomach's made for food. Do whatever you want to do with it. But how many of you know that uh, uh, eating yourself into obesity and health problems is not a good idea? Yeah. This is something I'm acutely aware of. And something that's uh, it's always been a challenge to me. But the truth is, is just because something's okay doesn't mean it's good for you. And the list goes on. Watching TV, playing video games, lifting weights and going to the gym, even sleeping. How many of you guys like to sleep? I just got a shirt that says, Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. But if you do it too much, it's bad for you as well. How many of you guys have been told that eating carrots is good for you? It's good for your eyesight? You ever been told that? If you eat too many, if you eat carrots, it's good for your eyesight. Carrots are good for you. Did you know that you can eat so many carrots that it'll turn your, your skin orange? That's a real thing. Because too much of anything is not good for you. And in the other area that we have to exercise responsibility when we, when we participate in our freedoms is in how it will affect others. 
In America, you have the freedom of speech, right? We all have free speech. But there's a responsibility that comes along with that. Now, in today's age, many people don't see that there's a responsibility that comes with that, and they begin to spit and speak all kinds of vitriol and poison and horrible things. And I've even seen Christians do the very same thing, or so-called Christians standing out the edge of a, of a, of a, of a college and telling people that all, all these different types of sinners and gays and lesbians, and, and they're all going to hell for their sin. And they're just telling them they're awful people and they're terrible. And I'm like, how do you ever expect to win any of them to the Lord if you treat them like that? That's not being very wise in their exercise of freedom of speech. How do you plan on making an impact on anybody talking like that? Oh, but we see it in the news constantly, right? I mean, it, it used to be that you just had to get through the election and it would finally die down. Apparently that's not the case anymore. People are just going to keep talking nonsense all year long now. Won't shut up about it and just get on with life. So worried about what's going on around them, they, they've even forgotten to serve God. <laughs> Just keep him as your focus. I tell you what, you want to see the country change? You want to see the government change? You're not going to do it by making new laws, and you're not going to do it by getting people, uh, by, by, by yelling and, and at these people. You want to see the country change. Get them saved. Get the people in office saved. And then you're going to see some changes. The laws aren't going to do it. Also, if you know in this country it's illegal to to actually, even in this church, if somebody were to get up and yell fire and there wasn't a fire, because there's so many people in here and they could get hurt or in a movie theater or any big kind of public place, you can actually uh, be, go, to, go to jail for that. You can actually be arrested for getting up and doing that because even though you have the right to free speech, you don't have the right to harm somebody else. And when you get up and yell fire in a crowded place, people can get hurt. All freedoms must be exercised through a lens of responsibility. And we have to think about how what we do is going to affect others. How it might impact somebody else. The freedoms that we exercise, is it going to cause somebody else to stumble? Is it going to cause somebody else to fail? I want you guys to start thinking about, as you live your life, as you go out through your day, week to week, when you do stuff, actually think about how it's going to impact others. And I know this is countercultural to the world that we live in, because right now you're taught from the, the moment you're born, look out for number one. It's you, you, you. Make sure that you're taken care of. Make sure that you get yours. Make sure all these things, that's, that's what happens in this society is we're taught to look out for number one. But I would challenge you, church, start looking out for somebody else. Start looking at people and see what you can do to impact their lives for the better instead of just your lives for the better. And be willing to give up something so you don't hurt somebody else. And I want, to, I want you to, to try this and see how much different your world looks if you start treating people like that. And then Paul goes on in verse 25. He says, eat whatever is sold in the, market, in the meat market without raising any question on the, on the ground of conscience for the earth is the Lord's. In the fullness of it. So now Paul's getting back to that example of exercising your freedom and dealing with the, the, the meat that's been offered to idols. He says, eat whatever is sold in the market. So you got to remember, we talked about this weeks ago, but they lived in a society where the, you know, the temple would be used for all kinds of things. You know, they would do 
any kind of event in there. And what would happen is, is they would sacrifice some to the, to the, to their God that they were worshiping. And then a third of the meat or whatever was sacrificed would go back to the person giving the sacrifice. And another third would go to the priest who was, was, who was taking care of the sacrifice. And if they didn't eat all of it, it would actually get sold into the meat market. This meat that's been sacrificed to idols, it would get sold back into there. And there was a, re- there was a real chance that the Christian believers, when they would, just went to the market, that they were going to be buying meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, don't worry about it. Go ahead there, buy the meat, eat it, don't ask any questions, just go ahead. The truth is, is, is that meat offered to, to idols is nothing. Food is just food. The truth is, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it is His anyway. Just go on living your life, because the truth is, there was no way for them to know anyway. Just go on living your life. There's no reason to ask, because it just didn't matter. The earth was the Lord's. And then he goes on to say, If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And now he's saying, all right, and if you're invited into an unbeliever's house, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be serving meat sacrificed to idols. He says, you know what? Don't even ask where it came from. Just eat, accept their hospitality, and just go ahead and eat it. It's like we said, it's not a big deal. Food offered to idols is nothing. It's just food. It all belongs to the Lord's. And it's not food what makes you unclean. Amen? And the truth is, if you think about it, if they did ask, right? If they got in there and got a little self-righteous and a little bit holy and they asked where this food came from and they, they were told that it was sacrificed to idols and they had made the decision they weren't going to eat that, that'd be kind of rude too. I'm like, oh, thank you for preparing this awesome meal. I'm not going to eat it. And you would just shun people. And the truth is, is that would limit their ability to be a witness to the people that they got invited into their home. Because that's our number one mission, church. Our number one goal is to, to share the gospel with people who have no hope. And that wouldn't be very effective, amen? In verse 28 through 30, he says, But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So now he's dealing with that situation of that weaker believer, right? We talked in the beginning, there might be a weaker believer who we could cause to stumble. And that's what he's saying. Well, if, that, if you're out to dinner and the weaker believer goes, hey, Paul, I think this was sacrificed to idols. Then go ahead and take a step back from that. Don't participate in your freedom, the freedom that you have, the right to eat this meat, because it could cause him to stumble. He says, back away from it. Don't eat it. Don't cause your brother to stumble. And he says, it's not for the sake of the person eating. He said, it's nice. It's not for my sake. I understand that I have freedom in Christ. I understand that I can participate on things. It's not for my sake. All of a sudden, because someone told me that it was unclean, doesn't mean it's something that I can't eat. He says, but for the sake, but for his conscience, not the person that's eating it. He says, for why should my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience? You know, this is actually something that if you think about, it could actually impact your lives in a, in a pretty big way. Talking about your conscience and your liberties. Has anybody ever done something and they're like, they're not sure if it's sin or not? They're not sure if they should be doing it? Anybody had a, you know what the Bible says? 
It's sin if you're not sure. The truth is, is that it can be sin for you because you're not sure and not sin for this guy over here because he's going to do it in faith. Anything that we don't do in faith, anything that we don't do and, and, and with good conscience and trust, when we exercise our freedom, the Bible says if it's not done in faith and for you, it is sin. But he says, why should somebody else determine, uh, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's consciousness? He says, Paul says, I know who I am. I know that I'm free in Christ. I know that meat doesn't matter. It's not going to be a sin for me, but you know what? I will give up anything. I will give up anything if it means that somebody else is going to continue walking with the Lord. If it means that somebody is not going to stumble and lose their way or get pushed away. Is the believer still free? Is Paul still free? Absolutely, but a a real believer, a mature Christian, will give up whatever he has to to make sure somebody else can continue walking, continue living. Amen? So we'll go ahead and end here. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. What it boils down to is that God is glorified. God should be glorified in all that we do. And if we will keep others in mind when we choose to act, you'll begin to see God glorified in what you do. Instead of just being concerned about yourself, be concerned about others. Be concerned about what God wants for your life. Philippians 2.3 says to consider others as more important than yourself. Really, if you take nothing else from this today, if you'll just consider others as more important than yourself, you'll begin to just fall in line with all the stuff that Paul's asking you to live your life in such a way. And we shouldn't be living a life that attempts only to bring us advantage. Paul says that, that I don't seek just my own advantage. But instead, he looks to the advantage of others. And this might mean that we have to give up certain freedoms. Paul said earlier, I'll I'll give up eating meat. I'll never eat meat again if it means somebody wouldn't stumble. And I'm glad that's not an issue now because I like meat. But I'll give up. The truth is I'll give up whatever it takes to cause somebody else to, to keep them from stumbling, to be able to have the opportunity to bring them to the Lord, to share Christ with them, because I don't want to do anything to keep people away from this hope that I have inside of me, the forgiveness and the freedom that I have inside of me. What would you guys give up for the good of somebody else? See, I started this message today with a story of, of uh, kind of how in my ignorance and immaturity, how I kind of idolized myself and, you know, I was going to revolutionize evangel- evangelism. And uh, as you might have surmised, I've grown from that moment. Things have moved forward. I'm not the same guy that I used to be. Because the truth is, is I'm no longer willing to hold myself up above everyone else. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that people feel loved, that they are welcomed. I'm willing to give up whatever I need to. And any of you guys that have known me for a long time, I've seen it. I pretty much have no free time. I've given that all up for all of you because I believe that you're worth it. I believe that you're valuable. And I believe that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I'm not going to do anything that's going to take away from God being able to minister into your lives. But the truth is, is that maybe some of you are in a similar place where I was many years ago. I want you to know there's good news. You don't have to stay there. 
You don't have to stay that way. You don't have to continue being that person. You can step out and serve God with all that you have. Paul said that I let go of what lies behind me and press on forward to the utmost calling of God, to the prize. I look forward and, and I'm going, I forget about my past and what happened. And if you think about it, Paul had a pretty rough past to forget about. He didn't do the Christians very good when he first started. But he said, I look forward. And church, everyone here, you can do that as well. Just start looking forward. Forget about your past and begin to live your life in such a way that you consider others more important than yourself. And you serve God and glorify him in all that you do. Amen? And church, I think that if if we begin to live in such a way, we're going to see the world change around us. It's going to start changing around you. And if we can influence others to do the same, we're going to see a society and world changed different than the one we live in now. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, bow our heads. Hallelujah. First, I want to give an opportunity. Um, if, if you don't know the Lord, if you've never asked Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that, that, that God loves you. God loves you with all his heart. And he loves you so much that he gave up everything so that you could live. He gave up everything so that you could be forgiven, that you could be free. And this morning, if, if, you've, if, if that's something that you want, if you want to, to be right with God, the Holy Spirit right now is speaking to your heart right now, challenging you. I, I just want to give you the opportunity right now to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're thinking about your past, if you're thinking about the things that you've done and all the mess-ups and you wonder, how could God love me? Could God even forgive me? I want you to know that his son, Jesus Christ, went to the cross to pay for every single thing that you've ever done, every sin. There is not a sin big enough that can cause you or stop you from having a relationship with him or being made right with him. And it's not anything about what you did or how you lived your life, but it has to do with what he did. And he gave his life for you because he loved you that much. He considered you to be that valuable. He considered you to be worth it. So this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to do that, if you would like to get right with God right now, I just want you to lift your hands in the air right now so that I can pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning? The Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. He's challenging you, saying... That, that I want to be right with you. I want you to be right with me. Is there anybody here this morning? Hallelujah. I also want to give another challenge this morning. Maybe you were like I was and more concerned about how you were living your own life rather than concerned with serving God or glorifying Him. Maybe you didn't even realize that some of the things that you were doing could cause other people to have problems. Sometimes we can be wholly ignorant of these things. But if that's you today, if, if you're ready to, to, to step away from that, if you're ready to begin serving God with all you have, if you want to say, Father, just forgive me for the way I've been living. I want to dedicate my life to you completely. I want you to raise your hand with me this morning. If there's anybody here that's in that position, it's just ready to give it all to God. Is there anybody here? Hallelujah. Well, Father, we just thank you for your great love. We thank you for your goodness. And Father, I would pray that... that uh, 
Every single one of us would have been challenged this morning, Father. Because the truth is, just like Paul said, that uh, I, I press forward, but I haven't attained it yet. Lord, I don't believe any of us here have either. So, Father, I thank you that we would be challenged every time that we hear your word, that we would continue to move forward, we would walk forward in victory and in truth, Father, that we would become closer to you every single day. We'd have a greater revelation of who you are every single day. And, Father, I pray that your word this morning would perform in us what you intended it to perform. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a brief moment to get ready to watch a video. Um, but before I do that, um, particularly if, if you've been attending this church for a long time, and uh, uh, one of the things that I want to challenge you guys to do is to begin praying that by the end of this year, that we'll have doubled in size. I'm believing God that by the end of this year, we're going to have about 75 or 80 members. And it's not to, so we can say we're a big church, but the truth is, is that as we grow, we're going to have a greater sphere of influence. And our purpose and goal in a church is to reach this community for Jesus Christ. We want to share his love with them. So uh, in your own personal prayer time, if you would continue to, if you would stand with us in that, believing God for growth and a doubling by the end of this year, amen. So, all right, we're going to go ahead and watch a video for the kids when they went to conference last week. So go ahead and enjoy. Enjoy. 